Well, thank you to Father Gerald. Father Gerald was our Marian novice master before I was born. So praise be to God. Well, maybe not that long, but definitely before I came to the Marian Fathers. Uh, but today also, in celebration of Christmas, we forget the tradition of the church is that what day of the whole entire year are most souls released from purgatory? Well, we would naturally probably think Easter or maybe even more so Divine Mercy Sunday. But actually the tradition of the church, small t tradition, is that more souls are released out of purgatory on Christmas Day than any other in the entire year. And it makes sense because this is the day Christ took on, as Father Gerald just read, the flesh. And so let us give thanks to God for an opportunity for us. And maybe, you know, you don't probably um, <clears throat> think of this every time you go to Mass or that you join us for Mass, but you can offer up a Mass intention. Um, you know, you can offer up my intention for this Mass. So maybe a good intention would be for any of your faithful departed today, any souls in purgatory of your family, friends, and loved ones that, and it doesn't have to be just one person, you can offer them all. This is a beautiful day to do that. Now, what is this celebration? Well, we grew up with it thinking of gifts and Santa Claus, but it goes to the line that we heard read, there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. There's no other name by which you are saved than Jesus. Now, the word Jesus means God saves. That's the meaning of the word. He is the Messiah, the anointed with oil, the one anointed. Now, who was he? Who was Jesus? Who is he? Now, Jesus didn't exist since the beginning of time. The second person of the Trinity existed from the beginning of time. Then at the hypostatic union, he joined the human nature with the divine nature and he became born of a woman. This is Jesus. And so, uh, but who is he? Now, everyone, even non-Christians, believe that Jesus was a good man. Nobody disputes that. He's a known historical, actual figure. And nobody disputes he's a good man. Even during the NFL football games, they have those commercials about, you know, loving the poor, and, 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 and this is what Jesus did. Everybody knows Jesus was a good man. However, he claimed he was God. So if he was not God, he could not have been a good man. He was a deceiver. Hmm, interesting. Jesus wanted everyone to know that he was God after, before really in one sense, but especially at the time that he then resurrected. He wanted people, we just heard the words Father Gerald read and, and Father, or Brother Chris, to worship him. Jesus, while alive, said before Abraham... I am. It's telling us he's God. The saying that no Jew, this is something no Jew would have dared to speak. No Jew. Before Abraham was, I am. That coming from any Jew is shocking. So he claimed that he was God. He claimed to forgive people's sins. The Jews believed nobody could do that except God. Jesus speaks and acts in the very person of God. No one else had ever done that. 
before or after. He was a good man, everybody agrees, but a good man would never do those things unless he was who he said he was. Interesting. You know, there are only two possibilities here. Either he was who he said he was or he was not. Either he speaks the truth or he does not. Let's think about this. If he speaks the truth and he is who he says he is, he is God and the case is closed. We must worship and believe in him. And that's why you're here today. But for many other people, they don't believe that. Now, if he does not speak the truth, then he is not God, but a mere man and a bad man at that. Why? Because he would have been a very bad man because morally and intellectual, he was a fraud. Either morally or intellectual, he would not have been good, but nobody claims this. Nobody says Jesus was morally or intellectually a bad man. Morally, because look at the love he lived with, which in the gospel, everybody points to. And intellectually, he, he gave us some of the greatest parables, like the story of the, of the prodigal son is called the greatest short story in the history of mankind. So if he knows he, let's just go this route. If he knows he is not God, then he's morally bad, lying and deceiving. It's blasphemy, right? And if he sincerely thinks that he is God but is not, then he's intellectually messed up. He's intellectually bad. In fact, he's insane. But no one who has read the Gospels can seriously think he is morally, in, morally corrupt or insane. Not at all. So in this sense, you can almost come to know Jesus is God. And so for me, this is powerful. The love, the human wisdom uh, of Jesus emerges from the Gospels to all of us. And now it has come alive in the very person of Jesus. This shows Jesus was unlike any other person in human history. Nobody else ever claimed or did what he did. Now, if you're going to say, well, I'll just follow him on a few days of the year. When we used to call these Catholics the Easter and Christmas Catholics, you know, they come on Easter, they come on Christmas. I, you know, I was giving a talk at St. Patrick's Cathedral in downtown Manhattan just, just last month. And as I was given the talk at St. Patrick's Cathedral, in fact, I apologize, it wasn't the talk, it was the homily of the Mass. I was given the homily, and it was up in a pulpit. <clears throat> and during my homily, hundreds of people were coming in, taking pictures, walking around behind the altar, taking pictures, and then going out the door. And I'm I'm, I'm there in this pulpit of St. Patrick's Cathedral looking out at this line, like, like animals coming in, taking pictures, walking out. And so I stopped in the middle of my homily and I, I looked at the people and I said, I'd like to challenge all of you. And all of a sudden, hundreds of people stopped and looked at me like this priest is talking to us. And I said, all of you who are coming in here, all of you who are walking in the door right now, all of you, please, I would like your attention. And all these pictures and cell phones, and they all stopped. 
and they all stared at me. And I said, I'd like to challenge you. I'd like to challenge you that this church to you coming up this Christmas or, or every Sunday or every day is not a museum. It's a place of worship. Now, probably the church officials got mad at me because that's what, I don't know, supporting donations or whatever they were doing, but I wanted them to realize that this is not a museum. This is a temple. This is a place of worship. And this is what Christ has now done. He's put himself in the tabernacle in the place of worship. And so this is powerful. You say, well, Father, I don't know if this Jesus guy is Lord. Brother Mark always talks about Pascal's wager. I think this is a perfect time to mention. Have you ever heard that term, Pascal's wager? Basically, why is it called that? Because you are wagering your eternal fate on whether or not you believe Jesus is God. Pascal's wager. You are wagering your entire eternal fate on whether or not you believe and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? What's the wager? What's the wager? Okay. Pascal's wager is this. If you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, you have everything to gain if you are right and absolutely nothing to lose if you are wrong. If you're wrong, well, it's just nothing. But if you're right, you got everything to gain eternal life. Now, if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus and he's the way Jesus saves, if you don't believe in that, you have nothing to gain if you're right. You have nothing to gain. But you have everything to lose if you are wrong. Who would take that bet? You've got to go with the first one because you've got everything to gain if you are right, nothing to lose if you're wrong. But if you go with he doesn't exist or Jesus isn't the Savior, then you've got nothing to gain if you're right. But you've got everything to lose if you're wrong. And so that to me is very powerful. So I want to finish with what the church teaches are the four reasons God became man. Have you read your catechism this morning? I'm going to give you, going to take you back to seminary right now. In my Christology class, the very first class that I sat in in Christology and seminary, I pulled these notes, and they basically come from the catechism. Why did God become man? All right, number one, to reconcile us back to God. Jesus basically bridged the unbridgeable gap. He is the only being could, who could bridge the gap between humanity and divinity because he's both God and man. Why? Because that gap is so big that only God could fix it, but the gap wasn't caused by God. It was caused by a man. So a man had to fix it. Hence the God-man, Jesus Christ. He came to call sinners and he gave us access to the father that we had lost after the fall. Rupture was so bad, only God could fix it. But it was man who caused it. So hence we needed somebody who was both God and a man. That never happened before until today. All right, number two. Why did God become a man? Two, to prove 
his love for us. God didn't need to know what it's like to be a man, right? He didn't need to know what it was like to be one of us, but we needed to know how much he loves us, right? It was to prove to us that he was not abandoning us. Sin is from a lack of trust, and this is God showing he hasn't forgotten us. So we trust him. He loves us to the point of death. How much does he love us? How much does God love you? God loves you this much. What am I doing? This is the cross. This is what Jesus did. If you say, how much does God love me? I don't feel God loves me. I really don't sense that God loves you, loves me. God loves you so much. How much does God love you? He loves you this much. So much that his hands were pulled and stretched upon a cross. That's how much he loves you. Three, he revealed to us what holiness is. He showed us a living model of how to be virtuous and holy. As he loved, we are called to love. He was an example. And fourth, that we could become partakers in the divine nature of God. God, it tells us, I think this is St. Ambrose, one of my brothers could correct me. God became man so that man could become God. That didn't mean one of the Trinity. It just means now we share in the divine nature of God. In baptism, we become a share in the, in the, uh, the air of God. Divinity lives in us now because of baptism, and only Jesus makes that possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the bottom line. We become adopted sons and daughters of God because of baptism. Now through the incarnation, man has been elevated above the angel. Remember, you hear me say all the time, who's created higher, man or the angel? Angels are created higher than man by nature. By nature, they are they have a superior intellect. They don't, they don't, they're not constrained by space and time. They don't get sick. Um, they are created above us. But by the grace of the incarnation, now I'm giving you my Christology notes again. By the grace of the incarnation, God elevated man above the angel especially the Immaculate Conception. So man has been elevated above the angel by grace. By nature, the angel is higher, but by grace, God has elevated man higher. Not even the angels share in the divine nature of God, but because of this incarnation where God may, uh, merged the human nature with the divine nature and brought them together, this is what we call the hypostatic union, we now are elevated to the divine nature. Unbelievable. And now you can get your seminary degree because you just passed Christology. So these are the reasons God became man. It's in the catechism. You know, Christmas is about giving, it's about God giving us the gift of his son, showing us he loves us. Because why? No greater love hath a man than to lay down his life for another. I always add to why God became man is because the penalty for sin is death, and Jesus paid that penalty. When you sin or I sin, we deserve to die. Somebody must die. Jesus came to earth. He died in our place. 
And so we need to live an example of this and live and be willing to die to ourselves. This is the message. So we need to live as an example of this. Give to each other. It's better than receiving. And, you know, um, the priests are allowed to say three masses, uh, midnight, at dawn, and during the day. This is the mass during the day. And as I mentioned, this could be a powerful time to give an offering for the holy souls. Um, you know, your intentions, your prayers. Um, but anyway, uh, I mentioned yesterday several beautiful things about Christmas. Uh, but just keep in mind, I'm running out of time. This, I just wanted to kind of recap that, but I won't be able to. Um, but you know, today, along with the Easter octave, is the greatest day in the church. Um, the eight days of the Christmas octave and the eight days of the Easter octave are your highest time in the church. And so, as I stated in the opening of this Mass, in essence, <clears throat> every day is like Christmas. Every day is like Christmas. Why? Because at Christmas, what happens? God became body and blood, flesh. What happens at every Mass in the miracle? We receive the body and blood of Christ. Just like at Christmas we received the body and blood of Christ, he came to us in the flesh. At Mass, every Mass you receive the body and blood of Christ, he comes to you in the flesh. Why? To feed you. Your body needs a bath, you better cleanse it. Your body needs food, you better feed it. But why would we think our soul doesn't need food? It's the true soul food. And so as I said in the beginning of Mass, we talk about swaddling clothing and mangers. What's swaddling clothing? What is swaddling clothing? Swaddling clothing are strips that they would wrap around the baby to keep its arms and its legs from kicking around. Swaddling clothes just basically meant that the baby was put at rest, at peace. Not, 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 not at rest, but, but in peace, just kept in peace so the arms and the legs wouldn't be kicking around. That's swaddling clothing. And then it said he was laid in the manger. The manger is a feeding trough that the animals would come. So there's Joseph and Mary amongst the animals, and there's a manger, a feeding trough where the animals come. And they would eat the hay out of the manger. Now is laid into the manger the true food. The child Jesus, who will then now become the body and blood for us to truly eat. The true food, John 6. I am the true food. And so, as I said earlier in the beginning of this Mass, when we sin, we become like animals. And when we sin and we're like animals, we go to the manger not to eat hay, but we go to the manger to eat the true food, the food of life. Why? Because Jesus saves. God bless you. And Merry Christmas. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. 
If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.